You're listening to the Troglopod, a weekly discussion about parenting for the old-fashioned, primitive cave dad or those who want to be one. Season 2, Episode 1, Are You a Sunday Prepper? Growing up, a lot of times I heard people talk about Sunday drivers, and that wasn't in a flattering way. A Sunday driver was somebody who drove terribly, and it inferred that they were actually only leaving their house to go to church. That's why their driving was so bad. They didn't have enough practice. In 2020, we all learned what a prepper was as we dealt with the pandemic sweeping the globe, lockdowns, and supply shortages. A lot of people became Sunday preppers. That is, they began to prep to hoard items, uh, and not necessarily in a smart way. As a dad, we all want to provide for our family, but we need to be prepared to do it the right way. What is a prepper? Many of you, you know, may not have heard of that before 2020, and you may have an altered view of what it really is. Back in the 1980s, we called people survivalists. One of the best examples from pop fiction would be Burt Gummer, played by Michael Gross, a survivalist from the movie Tremors, and Tremors 2, Tremors 3, there's a whole chain of them. Burt Gummer was a character who believed that the Soviet Union was going to invade North America, and so he moved out to the desert with his wife, played by Reba McIntyre, and built a fortified home with food and supplies for years. Of course, then monsters come along and kind of ruin Bert's plans. But the point was, Bert was prepared. And that's what being a prepper is all about. We all prepare. We prepare for Christmas. We buy gifts months in advance. We prepare for vacation by booking hotels and flights, packing our clothes. We prepare for our financial future, setting up retirement plans. Uh, we prepare for our children's future, picking schools for them to go to. Preparation is just a normal part of life. You prepare every morning when you get up. You prepare to go to work or to go to school or to stay home. You do things in anticipation of what you're going to need for that day. Survivalists took it to the extreme. Like the character of Burt Gummer, a lot of people believe that the Soviet Union, which is not with us anymore, and the United States were going to have a nuclear war, that there would be a, a nuclear winter with fallout all over the land that you needed to have supplies to take care of yourself because there wouldn't be a government to do it for you. You'd need food. You'd need water. You'd need shelter that could withstand the radiation of nuclear fallout. You needed firearms to protect what you had so that people who hadn't prepared couldn't come take it from you. Survivalists often turned into militia members and gave the, the word militia a very bad connotation. Now when we think of militia, we often think of a bunch of crazy guys in camouflage running around in the woods playing soldier. That's not necessarily what a militia is, and that's definitely not what our founding fathers had in mind when they drafted the Second Amendment. Prepping didn't really become a term until probably the late 90s, early 2000s. Much like Trekkies didn't like being called Trekkies and decided to call themselves Trekkers for a while. Survivalists preferred the term Prepper because they were being prepared. Many Preppers 
were disaster preparedness people. Those are the kind of folks who prepare for a tornado or an earthquake or a hurricane. Most state governments and even county governments have disaster preparedness programs to deal with these natural calamities. But 2020 made prepping mainstream. We saw there were toilet paper shortages because with COVID, people couldn't work in the factories, shipments across the oceans were interrupted, and people panicked. Clearly, having toilet paper was more important than having food or water. People fought, not just in the United States, but in countries around the world for toilet paper. This is a real eye-opening time in our history for a lot of people to understand. Are you a prepper? Should you be a prepper? My prepper story started back in the 1970s when I was growing up. We had a rash of really bad tornadoes one year here in the Midwest. And uh, what I remember about that is having to run to the basement, hide under some couch cushions, and wait for it to pass. But when I look back on that time, apparently people were ready for those kind of incidents. Everybody had a pantry full of food. Not because they were worried that the Soviets were going to invade or tornadoes were going to wipe the surface of the earth clean, but just because they didn't have the luxury of food ordering like we have today. There was no Instacart or Grubhub or anything like that. You went to the grocery, you bought your supplies, and you took them home. You didn't go every day because your grocery store might be 20 or 30 minutes away, and back then people didn't run around all the time. A lot of people went to work, went to school, came home. People had gardens where they grew a lot of their fresh vegetables themselves. Today, we don't really have pantries. Everybody lives on fast food. Everybody orders pre-prepared meals that they can just do at home. Nobody really stocks long-term things. Really, you should have food in your home. What if you can't get to the store? What if you break a leg? Yeah, you could call Instacart today and you could have it delivered. Or you could have friends and family bring you supplies. But really, you need to be prepared for a situation where you may not be able to get to the grocery. When I bought my house with my wife 20-something years ago, one of the things I insisted on was that it have a basement that any house we purchased have a basement. Now, I did that for two reasons. One, because basements are cool. Literally, they're below ground, and so they maintain a different temperature than your upstairs. They're also a fun, safe, quiet place to go to. And during a tornado, which we have here in the Midwest where I'm at, you're a lot safer off in a corner of your basement than you are on the ground level. I didn't really do anything with our basement. You know, our basement was unfinished, and I, here and there I would work on finishing it, but I didn't really plan for anything. The, the basement was just somewhere we could go, wait for a tornado to pass, and we'd be fine. Even after we had, ki had kids, it just was where we did our laundry, put a TV down here. You know, we just, it was just another room. That all changed in 2009. In 2009, we had an ice storm and it knocked out power through the region. Some people were without power for weeks. We were fortunate to only be without power for three days. 
unfortunately, we had two small children. We had a four-year-old and a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old. And we didn't have any heat. We didn't really have any preparations for this. We didn't have an alternative way to cook other than our charcoal grill. And as cold as it was outside, that's probably not a very good idea. Plus, everything in our refrigerator and freezer was going to end up going bad. We were fortunate to go spend time with our in-laws. And I would check our house every day to make sure pipes hadn't burst. In three or four days, our power came back on, and the house was still above uh, maybe 50 degrees. It had just not gotten that cold. But that showed me that I needed to be prepared. So I created what I called our storm closet. Well, what was our storm closet? It was a place in the basement that had canned foods, candles, some flashlights, extra batteries. Uh, I even got a little uh, propane burner that we could take outside because, as it turns out, you can't burn propane inside because of carbon monoxide. And I, I started stocking it with little things here and there. Nothing major, just something for, you know, to get us by for a couple days. Some extra water in bottles. And that was our storm closet. In 2017, eight years after the ice storm, I decided I wanted to write a novel about preppers. I don't remember what triggered this. I was writing other novels at the time. So I began to research what a prepper really was. Hanging out at their forums, watching programs on TV, watching YouTube videos. And I began to get really hooked on it. I'd always liked the idea of fallout shelters. And having been in the military, I had been trained on uh, nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare and what to do in instances. So I, my research became more of a way of life. I began to gather supplies in bulk. We have a Sam's Club, and Sam's Club is perfect for that. You don't really save a lot of money, but if you want to go buy 45 rolls of toilet paper in one package, you can. And I did. And I discovered that, hey, when I buy in bulk, I don't have to go back to the store again for a while. I hate shopping. And I did that. And one time I got mistaken and forgot that we had a, an extra 45 roll pack in the basement. So I bought another one. We had three. And the pandemic hit. People were having fights over toilet paper. My wife was very alarmed. We tried to order toilet paper from Instacart because that's what we did for our groceries. Fortunately, we had... 130 rolls of toilet paper still because we had three 45 roll packs. That's right. I was an accidental prepper. That taught me more than anything that you need to have stuff, not just a few cans of food, not just a couple candles or a flashlight, but you need to have everything. You need to have an alternate cooking source. We use a butane burner. It's a single burner that runs on cans of butane fuel about the size of a can of spray paint. They're very common in Asia and Southeast Asia. People use them to cook noodles. You can cook just about anything you can on a regular stove burner as you can on a butane. So we became preppers. We stocked up so that if we were without power or something happened, we wouldn't just have two weeks of supplies, we would have 
two months of supplies. And we were fine at home. We went through the whole year. You know, we bought our stuff from Instacart when the local grocery store ran out of meat. We we learned, hey, wait a minute, we can get meat from Schwann's. They're a delivery company in the Midwest that brings pricier food, but it's also better food. They never ran out of meat. We bought our toilet paper when and where we could, rather than use up the 120-something rolls that we have. We started buying other things, extra soap, extra toothbrushes, extra uh, hand soap, extra candles. We put all our blankets in one spot for, for the next winter. We prepared, and, you know, we already had a generator because, you know, for power outages, but it wasn't a very good generator. By the end of the year, we'd bought a newer, more modern generator that would be more reliable. During all this, though, I noticed something. People were no longer making fun of preppers. But I noticed there were different kinds of preppers. Not only were there the survivalist kinds of preppers, there were Christian preppers. If you remember during Hillary Clinton's failed run to take the White House, she talked about how here in the Midwest we like to cling to our guns and our Bible. Well, that's true. We do cling to our Bibles because most of us are Christians, or at least believe in God. A lot of us in the Midwest have guns because we hunt, we target shoot, or we just want to defend our home. We don't want to wait for the police to get here. I don't live in an urban environment with millions of neighbors. I live in the suburbs, and if I call the police, they may get here in a minute. They may get here in 45 minutes. There's only so many officers in our town, and they might be busy doing something. You can't necessarily rely on the police to get here and jump in front of a bullet for you. You have to be able to protect yourself. So yes, we have firearms, and we have Bibles. What's unusual about Christian preppers is a lot of them think that, because of the way things are right now, we're about to have the rapture. If you don't know what the rapture is, that's... Um, Sort of in the Bible, the Bible tells us that at the end times, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to lift up his people, the Christians, and he's going to take them away. There's argument about whether that's before all the, the events that are called the tribulation or if it's after. But a lot of Christians like to say, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, if things get that bad, Jesus is just going to come take us away. So they're not really planning for the biblical prophecy of the tribulation. They kind of stick their head in the sand and don't do anything. It dawned on me, well, wait a minute. If I'm a Christian and my friend isn't, but I still like my friend, and I really do get raptured away, what happens to my friend? They're not a prepper. They don't have a year's worth of toilet paper. They probably don't even have a month's worth. What are they going to eat? What are they going to drink? And that's when I realized the importance of prepping isn't just for you. It isn't just for your family. It's for your neighbors. It's for your, your friends. You could drop dead in any moment. You could be raptured away or abducted by aliens. What are you leaving behind for those you care about? What do you have on hand? If a national disaster hits the power grid were to go down or martial law was imposed because of some kind of invasion of one of the coasts and you couldn't get supplies 
you might be fine, but what about your neighbors? Do, are you going to just be that cold-hearted to watch people starve that live next door to you, even if you don't know them, even if you don't like them? So prepping is something that as a dad, the person who's supposed to take care of our family and provide for our family, we need to think about very closely. If you've never thought about prepping, one of the things you can do is turn to pop fiction. As I talked about earlier, there's always Tremors. These are great movies that came out in the late 1980s, and they're about these monsters that dig underground and, and pull people underneath them. But at the core of the movie is the character of Burt Gummer, played by Michael Gross. He was prepared for one incident, a Soviet invasion, but luckily for everybody in the town, which isn't very many people, it's less than a dozen in the movie, his preparations helped them survive these monsters. That's a theme that carries over through all the movies. Bert is prepared. He's always prepared. Now, he may not be prepared for what actually happens. You know, spoiler warning, <clears throat> the monsters change in the second movie and are slightly different. He wasn't prepared for this new version, but because he had some preparations in place, he was able to survive. That's what we need to do. The CDC has a web page up, and I think FEMA does as well, where you can prepare for a zombie apocalypse. Well, that's not going to happen. We know that's not going to happen. But the argument is, if you were prepared for zombies, you'd be prepared for anything. That may be. It's very easy to prepare. You can buy a couple extra cans of food each time you go to the grocery. You can save your two-liter Coke bottles, rinse them out really good, and put some water in them. Some water is better than no water. You may have to boil it when it comes time to finally drink it. Or you might use it to fill the back of your commode so that you can flush it. The point is, as dads, we need to be prepared. If you'd like to know more about prepping, you can check out the guys at The Casual Preppers. It's a podcast on Apple and Podbean and pretty much everywhere podcasts are. They also broadcast on YouTube. They make prepping fun. There's also City Prepping and the Canadian Prepper on YouTube who have regular videos about the prepping topic. You can also start listening here every Sunday where we're going to talk about Sunday prepping, being a prepper and being a Christian, and what the, how the two kind of overlap, and biblical lessons we can take. Because when you turn to your Bible, you get a lot of prepping stories. There was Noah, was the most obvious, who prepared for the flood because God told him to. There's Lot, who had to flee Sodom and Gomorrah because God told him to. That would be what preppers call bugging out. Because prepping is so important, we're going to start talking about prepping every Sunday, in addition to our regular weekly Trogla talk. Since this is our inaugural prepping episode, let's keep the discussion going with a firearm tip of the week. Shotguns. If you've been following the news, in addition to COVID and maybe COVID-21 hitting us, there's also a lot of talk here in the United States about gun control. In particular, uh, there are many who don't want us to have assault weapons. Well, what's an assault weapon? Well, it's an arbitrary term that the gun control advocates have come up with. Basically, when a weapon is black or it has a pistol grip, or it looks military, it's shootier. 
it's with apologies to Dana Lash for using her term, it's deadlier. Well, that's not exactly true. What makes a firearm deadly is the ammunition that it uses. A pistol round won't travel as far as a rifle round. A pistol round can't penetrate as well as a rifle round. Although there are rifles that shoot pistol rounds. So the whole issue of gun control is something we could talk about for hours. But the point is, gun control is once again in the news, and there are those who really want to push it. So what do you do about it as a homeowner? You want to protect your family. You want to protect them from looters if something, as the, as the preppers would say, when the shit hits the fan and people want to come take what you've got, how do you protect your family? Consider the shotgun. Even Joe Biden has nothing but good things to say about shotguns. He's talked about them for years. And shotguns probably are the best all-around firearm for a non-military person. When I mean non-military, meaning you're not part of a military. Shotguns are great because you can defend your home with them. You can hunt game. Ammo's plentiful because there's so many hunters. And shotguns are plentiful. There's so many makes and models, and they often tend to be cheap. I got a shotgun from Rural King, a store here in the Midwest, for under $300. What is a shotgun? For those of you that don't know, because as a dad, you kind of should know this stuff. Well, a shotgun is called a shotgun because most of the shells shoot shot, little pellets. When you're hunting a, a duck or some other kind of bird, it'd be pretty hard to hit it with one bullet. So the idea was, let's pack a whole bunch of pellets into a single shell. And when it's fired out of the shotgun, the further it gets away from the shotgun, the sh the pellets are going to spread out like a cloud and then you could have a better chance of hitting the, the duck or the pheasant or whatever it is and knocking it out of the sky. Shotguns don't just shoot pellets though. There are also slugs that you can get. It's basically one big bullet. Now, a shotgun slug is considerably larger than say a nine millimeter pistol round. It makes a much bigger hole and shotgun Slugs can be used to take down big game, meaning big animals. So our different types of ammunition for a shotgun are birdshot, which obviously are for taking down birds. And they there's a range of sizes based on what kind, what size bird you're going to be hunting. And the, the smaller the pellet, the smaller the bird, and there's more pellets in the shell. Then there's buckshot. Bucks meaning deer. You can take a deer down with buckshot. These tend to be just a few, we ain't really call them pellets, they're more like a ball. Then there's slugs, which is a solid slug. And a shotgun isn't rifled, meaning it doesn't have grooves in the barrel. Most pistols and long arms or rifles are rifled. That's where the term rifle comes from. Rifling is a series of grooves in a barrel that make the bullet spin as it passes through the barrel. That spinning makes the bullet travel in a more straight line than it would without them. It prevents the bullet from tumbling and veering off to the left or right or up or down. It makes the weapon more accurate. Shotguns tend to not be rifled. They're smooth bore, meaning it's just a tube. There are shotguns with rifled barrels. 
and there are also slugs that are rifled themselves, meaning they have grooves on the shell, I'm not on the shell, but on the slug, so that when the slug travels to the target, its own shape makes it spin through the air, kind of like an arrow. When you fire an arrow, the fletching will often make the arrow spin through the air. There are also specialty rounds for shotguns. The military has a variety of different kinds, but there are also people who use uh, shotgun shells of their own design. You can put basically anything in a shotgun shell. There's a guy on YouTube who has a channel called Demolition Ranch, and he, I guess, went viral years ago because he put Legos in a shotgun shell. It's basically a tube about a... For a 12-gauge shotgun shell, it's going to be about the size or diameter of a highlighter or your, or your thumb. And it, it carries a cargo in it, and it shoots that cargo right down the barrel. Not only are shotguns cheap, not only are they plentiful, not only is ammunition plentiful. And when I mean plentiful, right now, if you're a firearms enthusiast, you know that 9mm, 5.56, most of the calibers of ammunition are outrageously overpriced. There's a shortage. Is it because people are buying it all up, worried about violence like we had last summer with the riots? Or is there some kind of supply problem? I don't know. Shotgun ammunition is much more plentiful. But there's also a psychological deterrence when it comes to shotguns. If I come to my door with a pistol... I'm not going to be as imposing as if I come to my door with a shotgun. It's just a bigger weapon. It's like a knife and a sword. If you came at somebody with a knife, you're not going to scare them off as easily as if you had a sword. There's also laser sights. They've done studies that prove a laser sight will scare somebody more than a pistol without one. Putting a little red or green dot on somebody, even with a pistol, it, it just adds something to your intent of, you better get back. This is so much so that the state of Indiana actually has a law on the books where if you point a laser at somebody, it's a threat that's more serious than just pointing your finger at them or or saying you're going to do something to them. It's a crime to point a laser at somebody in an intimidating way. There's also the infamous sound that a shotgun makes when you rack around. It's been made very widely known thanks to a lot of movies. So if you come to the door and you rack around in your shotgun, people are going to know you mean business. So... If you're considering anything for your home, get a shotgun. Make sure you secure it. Make sure you have the right ammunition for it. And get out and get some training if you've not had any and learn how to use it. Shotguns are, are great for getting food. You can hunt squirrels, rabbits, birds, deer, just about anything. But you also need to have food on hand. So let's talk about our choice for food of the week. Our food of the week is soup. Well, why soup? Well, because soup comes in a variety of flavors and types. And, of course, there's always the old saying of chicken soup for the soul, based on a book. Soup is a comforting thing. When you're sick, you often get fed soup. If it's cold out, you get fed soup. 
if it's hot out and I have a hot bowl of soup, I feel cooler afterwards because now that the heat of the soup is gone, I realize that the air around me isn't so hot after all. Soup's great because it hydrates you. One of the big things that preppers talk about is making sure you have enough water. Soup is basically water with stuff in it. Which, that brings us to, are you going to have condensed soup or just canned soup? By that I mean, if you get the standard Campbell's chicken noodle soup, you have to add a can of water to the can of soup. You end up with two cans of fluid, basically. So it's two servings. Or more. There are a lot of soups now that you don't have to add water to them. You just dump them in the pot and cook them up. As I said, there's many, 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 many flavors of soup. Not just chicken noodle or tomato. And that's an important thing. Don't just have two kinds of soup. Me, I basically eat two kinds of soup. Chicken noodle or tomato. But my wife and kids, they like to have a little variety. Go to the store. You'll see there's dozens, if not a hundred different flavors. Try some out. Have some on hand. If you're going to be eating a lot of soup, which you probably don't want to eat nothing but soup, but if you are going to eat a lot of it, have some variety so people don't get tired of it. And don't forget the crackers. A lot of people like crackers in their soups, depending on what kind of soup it is. One of the things you need to take into account is the shelf life of your crackers. How long will those saltines stay crisp and tasty on the shelf, even unopened? What about croutons? You know, People like to put those on their, their salad. Or if you're looking at an extended power outage and you've got a bunch of bread and you don't have anything to make sandwiches out of, toast it. Bust it up. I know, you don't have any power. How are you going to toast it? Well, you can toast it by cooking it uh, in a pan or something over a fire. There's ways to toast without needing electricity. But a crouton's not just for a salad. It's also good in soups. There's oyster crackers. What's the shelf life of those compared to saltines? And then there's the pilot cracker. The pilot cracker is a very dense cracker that is closer to hardtack, which is what people used to eat during the Civil War era. It was a, basically a condensed, dried-out bread that lasts forever. Pilot crackers have a super long shelf life. But they're not as crisp and, and air-filled as a regular cracker. They're a unique taste. You can get those in some stores. You can order them online. They'll keep for quite a while. Of course, crackers and different flavors of soup aren't going to do you any good if you don't have a can opener. Not all soups have pop-tops these days. Also, a pop-top can's not going to last in your basement bunker as long as a sealed can. Eventually, something can go wrong and you'll, your seal will break and your soup goes bad. So keep that in mind. But what kind of can opener are you going to have? You probably don't want an electric one. There's a vast array of different styles and designs of can openers. From the military design P38 and P51, which will fit on your key ring to the old-fashioned plier-like kind that you clamp on and twist. You can also take a can of soup, hold it upside down, and rub it back and forth vigorously on concrete. That will grind the edge down, and you can get to the point where you can take the top off. You have to be careful doing this so you don't just dump your soup on the ground. In addition to crackers and can openers and different flavors, 
What about side dishes? What's a bowl of tomato soup without a grilled cheese sandwich? Well, if you don't have any fresh bread, it's going to be difficult to make that grilled cheese. But there are other things that you can make to go along with your soup. And lastly, soup means you need a bowl. So you got to keep plenty of bowls on hand, whether they're disposable bowls or the ones you're going to clean. You've got to keep them clean. You can't just rely on the heat of the soup to disinfect. You don't want a bunch of germs. You don't want to make yourself sick from eating soup. And that brings me to our last tip of the week, our last rather topic of the week, zombies. As I said earlier, the CDC and FEMA actually have lists for preparing for a zombie outbreak. Now we know zombies aren't really going to happen. But there are different kinds of zombies if you're a fan of pop fiction. There's, of course, resurrected people. They're technically zombies. That would be like the movie Universal Soldier. Or from the Bible, where people who are dead are brought back. You probably don't have too much to worry about them, because they're back with all their faculties, and, you know, that the only thing that you'd have to worry about is them behaving like a looter like any other normal person. There's the Danny Boyle, 28 Days Later, zombies, who aren't really zombies, they're people who have an infection, they're sick, and they've been overcome with something like rabies, and they're angry. They just want to attack and kill. One of the flaws in that movie is why don't they fight each other? There's Deadites from the Sam Raimi Evil Dead movie chain, which are basically resurrected creatures, but they're all evil and they all work together. Some of them are just skeletons. Obviously, we're not going to see that happen. Uh, Short of being a Sorcerer Supreme yourself, there's not a whole lot you could do to prepare for that other than hide. Then there's The Walking Dead, the most famous and popular of zombies around today. Now, while there are insects that will take over another insect, killing it and controlling it like a puppet, we don't really have to worry about a Walking Dead scenario. For one thing... If a corpse was really animated by a virus or an insect or something of that nature, it would begin to rot over time. The eyes would glaze over, the ears would stop working. One thing, where would it get the energy to move? It's not digesting food anymore. The joints would wear out. Eventually they'd be crawling around. All you'd really have to do in a situation like that is just wait them out. And you'd see them and smell them coming because they're rotting. There'd be all kinds of bugs around them. The probably most important thing you'd need to know is to, to stay in hiding and stay away from them. Quarantine yourself, like we spent all of 2020 doing. How does this zombie virus spread? You've got to avoid all bodily fluids. You need to boil all your water. You don't know if one's fallen into the local, the local reservoir and contaminated your water. You'd need to filter your air. Which, if you have a home furnace or air conditioner, you may have a HEPA filter, which would probably filter out anything bad that was airborne. You're going to want to avoid home deliveries. You don't know if the person delivering your Instacart order or your Grubhub order has been in contact with a zombie or not. Basically, you'd want to treat this situation like an Ebola outbreak. COVID was nice because had a very high survival rate. It wasn't anywhere near as lethal as a lot of the other diseases that are are in the world today, like Ebola. So if something more serious were to hit, you definitely would want to quarantine 
and strictly quarantine. You would want to have a way to decontaminate yourself. That means being able to rinse off, to dispose of outer clothing, masks, eye protection, and gloves. So you'd want to have all that stuff on. If you've enjoyed this discussion about prepping, check back with us next week as we make this a regular weekly special episode of the Troglopod. As a father, remember that you are responsible for taking care of your family. You need to help provide for them. And so you need to be prepared. Check us out at troglopod.com for notes and links to things we've mentioned in the episode. Check back each week for our regular episode and for now our Sunday prepper episodes.